This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome back. I'm your host, Avery Kreibold, and this is the show where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Transportation is one of the highest emitting sectors of global emissions. And as we're going to talk about today, developing countries' emissions from transporting goods and people via things like cars, trucks, and buses are very high because a lot of the time, these countries can't afford to buy the new, more efficient vehicles and instead are forced to rely on whatever is shipped there that countries like Canada, the US, and the UK don't want and have already been used. I'm talking to Max.ng's co-founder, Adetayo, about the new wave of low-to-zero-emission vehicles for ride-sharing throughout sub-Saharan Africa. Enjoy. Alright, well welcome to the show, Adetayo. You are from Max NG, which is actually a mobility company based in Africa. And I find your company fascinating because you're tackling such a huge problem that is actually affecting the entire world. And you're actually solving it in Africa in a very forward thinking way. And Africa is one of the places of the world that we think of when we think of less resources, less expertise, and you're still making progress on these huge issues that are affecting the entire world. So what else can you tell me about Max? Sure. <laughs> Max was founded at MIT by, by me uh, and my co-founder and a bunch of other classmates. At that time, you know, we were thinking about how to make mobility uh, safer and more sustainable with focus on sub-Saharan Africa. I'm, I'm from Nigeria, you know, I'm from Southwest Nigeria, by the way, and grew up, you know, observing the challenges around mobility and transportation and last mile delivery. I understood the problem quite, quite well and very intimately. So it just made sense after my experience, uh, uh, you know, learning from some of the smartest people in the world at MIT to put together some of those tools and those systems and frameworks and ideas to build technology to actually solve this problem. So, so that's actually where, the, where we started working on Max. And over the last six years, you know, we've been building, building technology, working very closely with drivers, uh, with government partners, with financial services providers as well to build a holistic, uh, comprehensive platform that deals with some of the most pressing problems with mobility. And while doing that, you know, what we've also done is to ensure that we ultimately decarbonize, you know, the mobility industry by systematically introducing electric vehicles and helping to scale charging networks to ensure that that transition from fossil fuels to electric power mobility can happen seamlessly, starting with commercial drivers and ultimately even for everyday drivers. Yeah, that's an awesome story. You mentioned some of the challenges in mobility that you've witnessed personally in Nigeria. What are some of those challenges? What are the pitfalls of technology and mobility in general as it is right now? You know, historically, uh, and, and even till now, I mean, some of the work we're doing has helped, in, you know, deliver some improvements in the cities where we operate in, but it's nowhere near perfect yet. We've seen it with mobility and transportation and last mile delivery over the last couple of decades uh, in Nigeria and across much, much of sub-Saharan Africa. 
number one actually is old, dirty vehicles, right? A ton of the used vehicles that are shipped out of developed countries, many of them end up in, in Africa, right? And other developing markets. And those vehicles typically emit more CO2. They're a lot, their engines are a lot less, less efficient. So those vehicles come in here. The authorities are not very stringent with enforcing uh, emissions standards on these vehicles. So pretty much, you know, they come in through our borders for you know, other reasons, such as, you know, most people can afford new cars are the way new vehicles uh, are taxed. It's done in such a way that it makes it pretty hard and difficult for the average person to be able to afford, right? And couple that with the fact that there's very low financial inclusion. So people typically don't have access to loans. Pretty much everyone loves to buy used vehicles, right? Most of which are, are inefficient and emit uh, a lot more carbon than newer engines. So because of that, you know, our emissions are growing quite quickly. You know, Africa's population is growing very fast. You know, everyone's dream is to, is to own their car at some point or their motorcycle. And today, 99% of those vehicles are combustion engine vehicles. So we've got a real challenge here that we would continue to see a lot more adoption of inefficient vehicles uh, across the continent. And unless we are able to do something about this, to not only reverse that trend of transfer of um, inefficient engines from parts of the world to Africa, but also create the mechanisms that would enable Africans to adopt clean vehicles, low, low to zero emission vehicles at scale. It's one of the big challenges. Um, you know, the infrastructure uh, that would support and enable adoption of electric vehicles still, for the most part, isn't there. Uh, the financial inclusion that's required to enable people to be able to access uh, low to zero emission vehicles when they need them, for the most part, that isn't there as well. And then there's also regulation. You know, across the world today, you know, with the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, not so many country, African countries have signed it. And those who have signed that agreement, many of them have not done any meaningful thing to implement policies in line with those, with those agreements, right? So what we're seeing is a lot more talking than doing, right? <laughs> so some of the work is also engaging with our communities and with governments uh, across the continent to put in place policies to drive an accelerated adoption of low to zero emissions vehicles so we can reverse the trend. I had never really thought about where the vehicles of the Western world are going and then where the vehicles of people in Africa are coming from and how those two are connected. I'd never really thought of that before, and it's a really interesting point. And as you said, it does have a big impact on the actual physical emissions of vehicles. We know that as time goes on, vehicles have gotten exponentially more efficient. So if a lot of citizens of Africa are using vehicles from a long time ago that weren't built as we know how to build them today, then those emissions from those vehicles are much, much, much higher. There's a lot of issues there. There's a lot of challenges to tackle. How is that actually holding back the citizens who are participating in these systems and the overall systems of Africa, like the economies, the governments? How does transportation affect those systems? Mobility is so fundamental to development, right? So if you, if you look at a lot of the sustainable development goals, you know, they have to do with improvements in healthcare. Even in, in, in developed countries, you know, in order to access high quality healthcare, you need to, you need to move. You need to go to where the healthcare center is. You need to, you need mobility to be able to get to where you can access healthcare, right? Think about education. You know, you can learn remotely now, right? 
but for the most part, Africa has a really young population. And these young people, most of them still need to go to schools, right? In their communities. You need mobility to solve that problem. Whether you're solving a healthcare access problem or you're solving an education problem, right? You know, people need to go to markets uh, where they can trade and make money. E-commerce is nowhere near the levels that we have in the U.S. And even in the U.S. and in other Western parts, other parts of Western Europe, a ton of people still like to go to grocery stores to do their shopping, right? They might order a couple of things online, but they still have to go to places every now and then. I mean, in Africa, it's, it's a lot more needing to actually go to physical places to shop and buy stuff. So if you think about almost any of the goals, uh, SDGs, they are all connected to efficient or they are all enabled by you know efficient mobility systems in place or efficient logistics and delivery systems uh, in place. What are the SDGs, you may be asking? SDGs are the 17 Sustainable Development Goals that have been set out and accepted by all UN member states through the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. The purpose of these goals and the agenda itself is to create a standard to work towards and provide easy ways for countries to collaborate and meet these goals. Adetayo is right in saying that many, if not all of these SDGs, require sustainable, reliable, and safe transportation, including protecting the natural world, providing health care for all citizens of Earth, and ensuring that every person has access to clean, drinkable water. So when you have a highly inefficient uh, mobility infrastructure, that automatically reduces quality of life for people, right? So people in Nigeria, for example, life expectancy is around uh, 49, right? 49 years, right? Or in the West, it's way above 70 for the most part. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is lack of access to you know, the right healthcare systems. Pollution is uh, increasing. Uh, a lot of the capital cities in Africa are very close to, to the ocean and are at risk of being submerged, you know, if, you know, the right infrastructure isn't built, if we do not decarbonize quickly, right? So there are significant threats that we already face today with respect to human development. Uh, weak, inefficient mobility systems mean that people can access the services that they need. But beyond that also is the fact that our population is growing very aggressively. You know, if the population is growing at 5%, but infrastructure is growing at 0.5%, gives you an idea of what we should expect in a couple of years from now. A city like Lagos, for example, is expected to grow from maybe to close to 20 million people today to nearly as high as, you know, somewhere between uh, 70 and 100 million people within the next, you know, 30 to 50 years, right? So, you know, what infrastructure is going to enable all of those people, right? So we've got a real crisis on our hands with respect to quality of life, uh, access to basic resources because of highly inefficient transportation and mobility systems that are currently in place. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to touch on there was that transportation is kind of a part of everything. And when we think about how important transportation is, we have to think about everything that requires any kind of movement, education, healthcare, trade. Trade is the big one that comes to mind because transporting goods and people is almost impossible if we don't have at least a decent transportation system. You mentioned before that Max is working mostly on commercial industries, commercial product. My question is, how does Max integrate within a city and community where it operates? What's kind of your system for making sure that people can get from A to B? Let me start by talking about some of the you know, ongoing mobility trends that we've observed globally. Traditional car ownership and vehicle ownership is quickly becoming outdated. 
because fundamentally what people need is access to mobility. People do not need to own cars. If you can get access to mobility when you need it, then there's no point owning it, right? So it's the sharing economy, right? You know, the more efficient we are at sharing resources, the more we conserve resources and the more we protect and preserve our planet. In, in sub-Saharan Africa, for the most part, everybody wants to own, right? And the reason why everybody wants to own things, they want to own their cars, own their motorcycles, own their bicycles. The moment they can afford to, that's what they do. The reason why people want to do that is because there is no technology or infrastructure in place to enable efficient sharing. So think about it this way. You know, if I can get access to a car when I need one, there's no point and there's no need why I should buy one. But if I'm not guaranteed access, then I would want to own one, not because I need to use it every single day, but because whenever I need to use it, I need to make sure that I have access. So how Max is fixing some of the mobility problems is by ensuring that we build platform that delivers access when people need it to help reduce the need for, for ownership, right? Because the other challenge is when everyone, if everyone has to own a vehicle as well, you know, a vehicle is a significant financial investment, right? And you will spend a lot more money owning a vehicle that you probably drive only 20% of the time. So even from a financial standpoint, that is highly inefficient. It's not the best use of resources of this is how we've thought about mobility, and this is why we focused on commercial mobility, which is helping those who provide commercial transportation services to the people. We focused there because that is where we get the biggest bang for our buck and the biggest impact, right? Uh, so, for example, an average driver on our platform today, commercial driver that uses our technology uh, and the vehicles that we've provided on our platform, provides about anywhere between 20 to 30 rides and deliveries every single day. So every electric vehicle, for example, that we deploy on our platform is you know, eliminating 20 to 30 uh, worth of emissions of trips per day. According to Tayo, each driver using the Max.ng platform reduces 20 to 30 rides per day, which means 20 to 30 less instances of people driving around in inefficient vehicles and producing way too much emissions for what they actually get done in the time. On its own, 20 to 30 car rides isn't really that much, but that's where the importance of systemic change comes in. Because if even a quarter of all transportation converts to max.ng in sub-Saharan Africa, all of a sudden that's thousands of tons of CO2 per year that isn't being put into the atmosphere. And that does matter. So we're able to impact the environment and impact on people much quicker by focusing on the commercial transport space, right? The, the, the challenges that we fix are, are quite a bunch. Number one is our fleet is not entirely 100% electric yet, right? It's on, it, we're on a journey to do that. Uh, because in order to do that, you know, we have to scale the battery charging and battery swapping as well. And that's something that we've been building over the last one and a half years. Today, we have about five, uh, uh, about six battery swapping stations across three cities in Nigeria, and we're starting to scale that gradually. However, in the case where we're unable to completely deploy only electric vehicles, we make sure that we provide drivers access to new, highly efficient gas engine vehicles, right? That are a lot more efficient than the old ones that dominate the environment right now. What, what we've done is, you know, is to focus on the commercial mobility space and guarantee commercial drivers access low to zero emission vehicles whenever they need them, you know, to provide rides and provide deliveries to commuters and small businesses around the cities that we operate in, right? So that's one thing we've been doing, taking away the friction and the access barriers for commercial transport operators. Another thing that we've done 
as well is to be creative around how we determine and how we qualify our, our drivers. So banks in Africa, financial institutions in Africa typically do not provide financing to commercial mobility drivers or commercial transport drivers. And the reason they do not do that is because they consider them high risk. But really, it's not, it's not that they're high risk. It, it is that the banks do not have the technology and the resources to accurately measure risk. And that's part of the innovation that we've brought in. Uh, we've built a machine learning platform that you know, uses alternative data, non-financial data, to estimate credit worthiness and provide credit scores to commercial drivers. And on the basis of this course, we then provide these drivers access to the vehicles that they need, uh, insurance, and other services that they need you know, to stay up and provide services to commuters. Uh, so we've innovated in, uh, you know, around that. I'd say about 80% of the drivers on our platform, of the over 5,000 drivers that have accessed vehicle subscriptions on our platform, Max is the first platform where they've accessed vehicle subscriptions without having to look for significant upfront payments to make. So that's another way we're driving inclusion and access by taking away friction and taking away the barriers that have kept uh, commercial transport operators and drivers in, in Africa from accessing the services and the vehicles that they need. Before this interview, I just looked through your website pretty briefly. Like, I wasn't aware of that. That's a great objective too, because if you set up a transportation system, I'm sure you know this, if you set up a transportation system, but you have no one to run it, it's kind of pointless. <laughs> so that's a very important piece of the puzzle when we're talking about something like this. So as I said, I looked through the website a little bit. What it looked like on there was that your goal, kind of your end goal is to end up with almost a ride sharing platform like we've been talking about based on these electric motorcycles. Is that still your goal? Like you said, there's still some gas in there right now, but is that your end goal? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, replace every single gas engine with our electric-powered motorcycle. Of course, you know, we're, we're highly motivated by desire to protect our environment, right? And make sure that in 100 years' time, you know, the city of Lagos is not buried underwater or that pollution does not continue to escalate. Uh, the air quality in Lagos uh, gets really, really bad. Even in cities like Nairobi, in, in many urban locations across Africa, air quality is really bad, right? And that's because not only do you have used cars all over the place, even worse is you've got generators, right? You know, diesel gas engine generators providing power supply, right? It's, you know, insane amounts of carbon in the, in the air, which in itself is cutting people's lives short. So for us, you know, the ultimate goal is to completely decarbonize mobility in Africa across, you know, multiple vehicle forms and also provide optionality uh, to, to commuters. You know, if you need to do a trip that requires a two-wheel vehicle, you'll get one. If you need, if it's a three-wheel vehicle, you get it. If it's a four-wheel vehicle, you will get it as well. So ultimately, yes, the goal for us is to completely uh, eliminate carbon from our tra mobility industry uh, over the next you know, decade or two by providing the infrastructure and the technology that drives access for everybody. That's a fantastic goal to have. Yeah, that's definitely what we need more of when we're looking at what can we do about climate change, this big issue that's kind of affecting the entire world. We need more sentiment like that of what can we do to fix it? You mentioned that the environment and protecting the environment is very important to Max. And obviously, transitioning to electric vehicles is, as we know, one of the best possible things that you can do to reduce emissions, in transportation at least. 
Is there anything else that Max is doing to promote sustainability or is that pretty much it? And when I say that, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, it's still a very good initiative to do. It's very important. Well, when we think about sustainability, right, you know, we think about it holistically. You know, we think about everything we do, its impact on the society and its impact on people, you know, our impact on cities and, and other, you know, communities where we are present. And also how we drive equality as well. In the African mobility space, it's about 99.9% dominated by men today. One of the most important aspects of our mission at MAX is to drive equality of access to all genders in the transportation space. Today, it's extremely masculine because there's a perception that's been built around the industry as being very tough, very unstructured, very fragmented, and, and sometimes occasionally you know, violent. Our mission at Max, one of the most important things to us at Max is, you know, it isn't just about building great technology and decarbonizing the, the industry. It's about also organizing the industry so that, you know, anybody, right, irrespective of their gender, can participate without the fear of getting harassed or getting taken advantage of. And we're excited because we're starting to see results. Uh, we've, we've onboarded tens of women drivers on the platform today. You know, but we're nowhere where we want to be until we get to a point where, you know, it's about 50% on both sides. One of the ways we think about sustainability also is making sure that the industry becomes um, accessible to all genders uh, and, and there is no, no, no discrimination anymore. I didn't even think about kind of encouraging equality in something like this. And I don't know how some of the Western ride-sharing platforms similar to this work, like Uber, but it's something I haven't heard of. So to hear that you guys are actually putting a concentrated focus on making sure that everyone is included not only in using, but also operating within your business is a really great objective to have. I really like that my next question is, ultimately, how can you see Max changing lives and almost increasing the development of sub-Saharan Africa, where you guys are working? I think, you know, one of the questions that we asked ourselves, you know, as founders of the company, even before we founded Max, you know, was how, how do we really help build the continent, right? How do we eliminate poverty, because we looked at some of the strategies and the approaches that had been implemented, you know, for decades before that hadn't really yielded significant sustainable results. Either if you look at, you know, World Bank programs or, you know, poverty programs, aid programs, etc. One of the biggest gaps we found in, in those initiatives is that those initiatives took an approach that what you might call a non-collaborative approach with the recipients. What we mean by that is they sort of like figured out what they felt people needed and just provide it to them. What we found is that building sustainable and uh, sustainable ideas and solutions to poverty require a process of co-creation with the recipients. Beyond providing aid, you know, people want a sense of participation. People want a sense of, of dignity uh, because that is extremely important in, in driving a permanent improvement in quality of life. Max, one, one of our core values is, is partnership. So every, every single person we work with, right, is a partner. If they're customers, they're partners. If they are vendors, they are partners. If they're governments, they are our partners, right? It's a co-creation, co-ownership model that we operate. If you think about what we do with our drivers, 
One of the most important things is the fact that we our technology and the you know the vehicle subscription platforms, the digital wallets and the other services we've created insurance, all of these elements of our value proposition are designed to help the drivers to be more productive. Right? And more productive for us means they generate more revenue, they make more money, they have healthier lifestyles, they are insured, they have higher quality of life, they don't have to work as long. So they can have a bit more time to also dedicate to other important things in their lives. They get access to emergency response and healthcare services whenever they need. We thought about a holistic approach that ensures that our people are able to make a permanent shift. There's no point increasing you know, a driver's income 3x if they're going to be back to square one in three years' time, right? For us, you would think about a permanent shift. How do we enable a permanent shift or a permanent improvement in quality of life in their income earning ability as well over a sustained period. That's ultimately how you eliminate poverty. That's how you help build a country. So we see ourselves fundamentally as, you know, as our, you know, nation builders. You know, we're helping to build the continent from the ground up by ensuring that we provide a platform for, you know, folks who earn, you know, less than two, three, four dollars a day. To folks who earn not only earn more money, but earn it in a way that's sustainable and, and therefore their own children can be impacted by the, the transformation in their own lives. Because an empowered driver who has a bit more money in their pockets is able to send their kids to school. So their kids stay in school rather than stay out of school. And by doing that alone, it really increase the, the chances of, of them families moving out of perpetual generational poverty you know, into you know, the lower middle class and even hopefully eventually the middle class. Yeah, it's definitely easy to see how some system like this that provides people with so many jobs and opportunities that just weren't there before could not only change their own lives, but generationally change how their family operates going forward. It's really amazing what you guys are doing. Thank you for all of your work. So I think that's pretty much all of the all of the longer questions that I have for you. I just have like a couple short ones that I want you to answer as fast as you can if you've got the time for it. Sure, why not? Let's go. All right. My first question is, I know this isn't really your field, but which do you think is more important for transitioning to more renewable energy worldwide? Energy production or energy storage? Storage. We need, we need to be able to pack in a lot more power or uh, in batteries, right, or uh, or whatever you know devices we invent to store power, especially for for longer applications, right? Figuring out ways to store sufficient energy for people to be able to take cross country trips, right, is extremely important. And also, significantly increasing our ability to store energy would mean that we have to build less infrastructure. So if you think about it. Right, instead of building, say, you know, 20,000 battery charging and swapping stations in California, you know, because maybe cars can go beyond three to 400 miles, if cars can actually go 1,000 or 2,000 miles on a single charge, then we need much fewer battery charging and swapping stations, and then we can drive adoption much quicker. So I'd say storage over production. Even though both are important, I'd choose storage over production. My second question is, I know you guys are working mostly with electric vehicles and batteries right now. But what about hydrogen? Have you looked at hydrogen vehicles? Is that something you're considering? I mean, yeah, hydrogen vehicles are, not, are, are part of the, the plan for us. Um, some of the research we've done, 
we think that the infrastructure requirements to deploy hydrogen vehicles at scale are a little more uh, significant. The infrastructure challenges are a bit more significant than batteries, right? So I think, you know, we sort of like try to balance between being extremely futuristic in our thinking, but also, in t- but also being pragmatic about where we can deliver the most impact given the, the resources and the, the maturity level of the technologies at our disposal. Technology maturity is important, as Tayo says. For example, technologies like geothermal energy, wind energy, solar power, and electric cars are quite mature. They've had enough years to establish a good technological base to build on, and they've proven their worth. That doesn't mean they can't improve. We're still working on getting electric cars into cities around the world. The efficiency of solar panels increases by entire percent points every year, But these technologies have come far enough to be a proven technology that can be used in a widespread manner, whereas hydrogen-powered vehicles haven't been around as long and are still being developed as a technology. But yes, uh, we're excited about the prospects and the the work that's been done in hydrogen. And in a couple years, we expect that we should be able to deploy some hydrogen-powered cars. Okay, awesome. I could definitely see the infrastructure of hydrogen being a bit more difficult and that's still something you can work towards if you need to. But again, if your battery system is working, there's no real reason to transition to that, right? So what would you say is more important for developing these systems like you're working on? The research side of it, making sure everything is as good and efficient and sustainable as it can be or implementation, just getting on the ground, getting it installed? So sometimes I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to choose in between two really important priorities. But if I would absolutely have to choose one, I would go with implementation. And the reason for that is, if you think about the technology that we already have available today, we have enough that's been commercialized for us to aggressively drive the energy transition today as we speak. So if it was 30 years ago, I would obviously say maybe it's research or 20 years ago. But today, it's, very, it's a very different world we live in. We already have reasonably stable technologies that can enable and fast track the energy transition, right? What we haven't seen is that commitment to actually you know, fully utilize what is already available to us. If you, if you, you know, take a look at what's been done by some of the pioneers, and when I say pioneers, I don't mean inventors. I mean pioneers in terms of those who are the forefront of driving large-scale shifts, right? Like Tesla, right? All the other major car companies globally had the resources to do what Tesla did. And they could have done it much quicker than Tesla did. But they said, no, you know, they all stuck to their old guns, still manufacturing ice, ice engines. Until Tesla then proved that, you know, this actually works at scale and they saw that the market was starting to shift. These companies are making this transition for the most part, not because they want to help the planet. They're making this transition because they're going to go out of business. And it's really sad. It's unfortunate that these decisions are being driven fundamentally by interest in making returns, not in preserving the planet. So that's an example of the fact that a lot more implementation needs to be done, should be done. We already have technology available to drive very aggressive transition into clean energy. It's just the implementation that's not happening and the wheel is just not there. So I will choose implementation right now a little bit over our research. We're at the point now where, as you said, we have everything that we need 
to get done what we need to get done when it comes to mitigating climate change and becoming more sustainable. Now we just have to get it done. We just have to work on it. You mentioned that you don't like to choose between these questions and you can always say both. Like I'm totally fine with both. I just like to hear your response to them. Which do you think is most important? Policy, technology, or economics? It's tough. Policy, economics, and technology. I mean, I'm a techie, right? But over the last five years, I've realized and learned sometimes the hard way that you know, no matter how much science you know, and innovation we, we invest in, one crazy or one uninformed policy could take us back to square one, just like that. Of course, there's no transformation without technology, right? So there's no question about the fact that we have to continue to build and invent new technologies to enable us uh, achieve, you know, full 100% sustainability on our planet. But, but at the same time, we need political leaders that commit to driving policy change quickly and efficiently are to ensure that society adopts, you know, the most beneficial technologies for the planet. Technology is super, super critical, but policy as well has proven to be extremely important. And I know, you know, we te- technology folks and, and innovators historically or traditionally do not like to get involved with politicians and in policy conversations. But hey, you know, where things are at today, we really don't have any choice. We have to get involved in those conversations. We have to show them the, the evidence, right, to help drive the policy changes that are required to accelerate technology adoption to ensure we build a sustainable planet. Now, economics are important. I will put economics slightly slightly below those two. The reason for that is I haven't seen any scenario where we get the technology right and we get the policy right and the economics doesn't work out itself. You know, maybe you can show me one scenario, but I haven't seen that scenario where we get the technology right, we get the policies right, the economics always follow those two. So I would say, of course, economics are extremely important. But the economics always followed right policy and uh, scaling the right technologies. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that kind of way of thinking that if we get two out of the three right, that the, the third will follow just naturally as a part of the system. I have one more question for you, and it is based on the knowledge of your industry and everything that's happening around the world in respect to climate change and sustainability. Do you think that we can reduce emissions enough so that we meet the goals set out by the Paris Agreement? Do you think that's possible? 100% possible. 100% possible. I mean, if, if, if the US you know, could put a man on the moon in, in nine years, right, in, in, a, in a period when you know, technology advancement was, was still in its infancy relative to where we are at today, I think this is an e- a much easier challenge than putting a man on the moon in, in, the, in the 60s, right? What is missing is just the will, the will, the, the commitment. So can we? Absolutely, we can. And, you know, I mean, as of now, we still don't have another planet, right? Maybe if you find another one tomorrow, maybe we could all move there. But right now, we don't have another planet. So it's not even a question of, you know, should we? It's a question of we must, right? We absolutely must do what is right. And, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I thought it was a hopeless our situation, you know, I'll, I'll be playing golf or just having fun somewhere else and not, you know, working my ass off to do my part in, in driving that transition. But yes, we absolutely can and, and we should and hopefully we will. Yeah, I love hearing when people say that we absolutely can, having that confidence in it. I do too. I absolutely think that we can achieve these goals and work towards 
carbon neutrality by 2050, all of the SDGs, all of the sustainable development goals. I believe we can do it. We just need to start working on it and keep working on it. Not give up and not be discouraged, but just keep going. 100%. Well, that's everything that I've got for us. Is there somewhere that people can find you and Max in order to learn more about this? Sure, absolutely. You can send me an email, uh, Tayo, that's um, tomatoes, alpha, yellow, orange. Tayo at max.ng, max.n, n for Nigeria and g for Ghana, max.ng. You can shoot me an email. Uh, also on social media, you can follow me at, at BAMTAYO. That's B for Bolivia, A for Apple, M for Mango, at BAMTAYO on Instagram and on Twitter. Find me there as well. So yeah, definitely would love to, to connect with, with folks out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Adetayo, for coming on and joining me for this conversation. I've learned so much about mobility in general, and I think our listeners will have too, and how we can be more sustainable in our mobility going forwards, and how transportation can improve the lives of everyone that it touches. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. And thanks for having me as well. Uh, great, great uh, our show you've got here and um, you know our, you know we show the best first of all big thank you to Adetayo for sharing the story of Max with me Max's technology and technology like it is especially exciting in the transition to a sustainable world because it has a profound impact on the lives of individual people as well as climate provides safe, sustainable, and reliable transportation at the fraction of a price of buying a vehicle. Max gives people a way to work, to pursue a lifestyle of their choosing, and to be free. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. If you haven't already, I highly recommend you take a look in the show notes, find our social media pages and our email newsletter, and follow along for more consistent updates on the show. That's all I've got today. Stay innovative. I'll see you next week.